podcast here at High Point Church. I'm here with Bill Taylor, and we're going to do a short American history slash political life in America slash international missions in the Ukraine podcast. So Bill Taylor is one of our elders. He's been attending High Point since how long, Bill? 1985. And you've been on how many Ukraine trips? Six. And one of the things you're known for in Ukraine is teaching American history by... Pretending to be Abraham Lincoln. My wife made me a coat that's appropriate, and then you put me in that coat and give me black beard and black hair and the right hat, and I look just like him. Relatively tall and lanky. Tall right? and lanky. Great. And so this is you've also been a student of American history a good bit of your life, and yes. it's an interest of yours as well as the history of the Constitution and American politics. So, um, yes, there's a couple things that we're going to talk about. So you went on your trip, and... Did this stuff. And so part of the trip was uh, teaching English to university students. Um, we used the Bible, the inductive Bible studies in the mornings, and then we had workshops in various areas in the afternoons. Uh, and quite often when I do a workshop, or my wife and I, when she went, uh, we would use some version of American history, American politics. And this camp in the winter, uh, in January last year, I mean last last month, um, was comes after the election of November 2016, and Charles Dickens apparently wrote about that election because he said "twas the best of times, twas the worst of times," when he introduced uh, a tale of two cities, and apparently. Many in America think that tis the worst of times, and many in America think tis the best of times. Uh, so I use that uh, history in the uh, workshop over there. In particular, I set up a situation in an imaginary constitutional convention of a new uh, country that would be forming uh, around the Black Sea, which I call the Union of Black Sea States. Uh, and there were nine... Black Sea states, the ones that touched the Black Sea, and then two more, uh, Georgia and Greece, that are closest to the Black Sea. And so those nine, in 2087, had a constitutional convention, uh, just like we had one in 1787. Now, they had to decide how to form a government, so we talked about what is a constitution, and should governments obey a constitution, and what things should a government have? Uh, and one of the things we got, you're we talking about this to myself and I think a couple of the other elders. And one of the things that came up was you said it was amazing how fast Ukrainian students came up with the exact same concerns that American founding fathers had and actually themselves came up with almost the exact same solutions. Right. We had, um, we would put them into well, nine of them together and each of them represented one of these nine Black Sea state countries. So one represented Moldova, which is very, very, very small. And one represented Russia, which is very, very, very big uh, and so forth. And so the nine of them, pretending to be those countries, uh, worked on the question, how do we elect a president in this new country that we're creating? And so one block of the three largest states said, well, we should have uh, equal representation. Every citizen in all of the states should have one vote. And the three smallest states said, well, yes, we should have equal representation, but it should be each state has one vote. And that's precisely the dilemma 
that our country had in 1787. Um, the little states were afraid that Virginia was going to gobble them up. Um, uh-huh. And so and very... Rhode Island was not at all sure that they were going to be a sovereign state if Virginia was able to do so. That's right, or New York. Right, <laughs> right. Because this, in, the United, in the 13 colonies, the populations were not anything like equal. No, not at all. They're very different. Not as extreme as over there, because right. Russia had has 45% right. the population of those nine states. Right, right. So w- what that made for us was what we call the bicameral legislature, right? That there's one that is by states, another that is by population, and the two are going to have to agree somewhat in order to get something passed. Right, and so for the Electoral College then to elect the president, what we did and then what they basically decided was take the number of senators, which is per state, everyone has the same number, in our cases too, and then add to that the number of representatives. And so you have a compromise. The large states don't totally dominate, but the small states aren't quite as sovereign as they would have been because they're folding into this union. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. But they they realized, because they weren't thinking Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump. They no. were just thinking, if these states came together, we were gonna, we're our own country, and yet we're part of this larger union. We don't want to lose our sovereignty. We want the benefits of being part of something bigger. What would be the best way to do this? And what they came up with was essentially the Electoral College. Yes, they came up with the Electoral College in their context. Right. You know, 70 years from now. So while America was getting upset about the fact of the Electoral College and saying, this is so not fair, you were literally at the same moment in Ukraine where a bunch of Ukrainians were saying, this is the only way it could be fair. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so a lot of Americans, so I, I have a minor in American history in, mm. in, um, in, in, uh, in my undergrad. I used to study some American history. Most people don't now. Very little is taught in schools. We remember so little from our formative educations of facts, especially mm. these sorts of facts. So what it, tell people a little bit, because it turns out that in if you're my age, so I'm 39, right? If you're my age, there's only two elected presidents in recent memory that didn't win the electoral college, but did win the popular vote, right? Which I think is Gore and G.W. Bush. Yeah, George W. Bush did not win the popular vote. Right. Gore got a little bit more. And then Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton didn't win the the electoral college, but won the popular popular vote. vote, Right. So in both cases, it feels like Democrats got hosed, Right. Yes, now, it does. In the entire history of America, has this ever happened before? Um, before Al Gore, uh, yes, didn't get the presidency in two thousand. Okay, s- several instances. Uh, Mr. Trump got forty-six point five percent of the popular vote, but Thomas Jefferson in eighteen oh four got forty-five point six, nearly a percent less. Bill Clinton in nineteen ninety-two got forty-three point three percent. And Woodrow Wilson in 1912 got 42.5%. So all three of those who most people think are great presidents uh, did not get 50% of the vote at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there you, you bring up the election of 1876 as an as a example of somebody who had won the popular vote and the Electoral College and then didn't end up being president. Why don't oh. you give that example? Yeah, that was, we would consider that to be dreadful, beyond dreadful. Um, 1876, Samuel J. Tilden won the popular vote, and he had more electoral votes than Rutherford B. Hayes. 
but there were 20 disputed electoral votes, and they eventually went to Hayes. And so Rutherford B. Hayes became president, and we've never heard of Samuel J. Tilton ever since. Do you know how many presidential elections went to the House of Representatives to be decided? I do not know, but several. Because if you don't get a decisive, people don't know this, but if you don't get the decisive number of electoral votes, it's kind of a, a close stalemate, then it's decided by a vote of the House of Representatives, right? Right. And, and there have been a number of presidencies decided by that. Right. Not a lot, less and, than five. And some people but, were hoping that would happen this year. Yes, yes. <laughs> but didn't. Yeah, people who liked Clinton and didn't, there were a number of conservatives that didn't want Trump and were hoping it would be indecisive and then people would back a different Republican right? Mm-hmm. Or that, yes. or a different Democrat, maybe Bernie Sanders, right? Yeah, it could have been Bernie Sanders or it could have been uh, Vice President Pence. Who knows? Right. So, <laughs> um, so the, but there, yet in our present moment, there's been an awful lot of uproar about this uh, and huge concern, um, including the feeling that there should be protesting and we should consider the president illegitimate and so on. And um, th- this was also felt by some people in um, in 2008, when President Obama was first elected, mm. they felt like he he was um, his views were such that he should not be supported, right? Mm. Um, and so, w- w- as an elder, right, and to look at this biblically and to try to be, um, I don't think we can ever be entirely nonpartisan, but to try to be not captured mm. by one yes. ideology, right. progressive or conservative, or captured by one party, Republican or Democrat, or um, un uncritically adopting of one person, whether that's mm. President Obama or a President Trump, um, to be circumspect Christians and to be prudent and to be moderate and temperate. Mm. Um, what are some of the things that you feel like Christians could say, okay, I need to understand this about my relationship to government? Well, the first thing I think we can be very grateful that we have a voice in the government. Um, that is huge. Uh, in this election, we can also be grateful that it isn't the worst election in the United States history when um, Abraham Lincoln, that I pretend to be over in Ukraine, uh, was elected. Things really went downhill rather badly. Um, so that hasn't happened. And then the Bible tells us to pray for those who are in authority. Um, it doesn't say necessarily we should like them, but we should pray for them and care that they do well mm-hmm. uh, for the sake of everybody. Uh, so that's our basic position. Yeah, and I think two of the places where this is affirmed is in First Timothy, in the city of Ephesus, where the Christians we know were not treated particularly well in the, in the book of Acts, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's in First Peter, where it's very clear Peter's writing to people who are persecuted. And the clearest passage on, on obeying government and seeing government as ordained by God is Romans mm-hmm. chapter 13, mm-hmm. which most people agree was written during the Neronian persecution, where Nero was yeah. burning Christians alive and... Um, and ultimately blaming them for the fire of Rome. So Mm. the idea that the Bible affirms us being submissive to and obedient to government as a rule of law over us, that's Mm. only true if you have a good president in your view, is very difficult to substantiate biblically. The Bible seems to say government in itself is better than anarchy. Yes, right. And we should do our best to see that it doesn't become tyranny, right? right. But that we have a, a very strong op- obligation to obey it. Even though in the Old Testament, in, in First Samuel, for example, God explicitly tells people, 
they sh law should be enough for us and we shouldn't want a king because there are all kinds mm -hmm. of abuses bound up in governmental authority. Kingly mm -hmm. and authority, it tends to become tyrannical. They tend to take the best of what belonged to you, including your own sons and daughters and all of that. Mm -hmm. And that law should be enough for us if we were virtuous people. But since we aren't virtuous people, we end up requiring government. Mm -hmm. And um, and so, even though government is, there is no good government, um, God tells us that it is it is a still a grace of God in the condition we find ourselves in. Yes, right. So one thought I have is Winston Churchill said one time that democracy is the most terrible form of government until you consider all the others. Right. And so we can be so grateful that we have well, not just a democracy, but a republic where we elect representatives and then they wrestle with all the issues on our behalf. Mm -hmm. um, so do you feel like, um, so as elders of the church, we might tell people, um, you know, uh, bloviating and being as angry as possible on Facebook is actually not necessarily a helpful thing. But if somebody said, but if I want to write, if I want to write a blog or an editorial of the newspaper, or if I want to make a, a prudent and thoughtful, modest comment, being against, for example, Donald Trump's um, policy of immigration, for example, mm, yes. um, as an elder, would you say, do that? If you can express yourself without rage... I think it could be a very good thing. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're just ranting, um, then it's a very bad thing. Um, so it's, it's, it's not sinful for Christians to say to the government, what you're doing isn't right. That's, correct. that's okay to do. Correct. Yes. And it may even be our responsibility in certain situations mm -hmm. to yes. advocate for justice. Um, mm -hmm. Can you think, um, and there are certain situations in which civil disobedience is okay even? I think so. Um, in my own experience, um, I became a Christian during my junior year at college in 1966, and there was a war going on then. Uh, and although I was uh, young and smart in the sense of mathematics and physics, I probably was pretty stupid otherwise. Uh, but I became convinced at the time that the Lord Jesus would not want me to be killing people in the military, in the service, and so I applied to be a conscientious objector and eventually was declared as such. Uh, and in that process, I realized that the kingdom of God and the United States were totally different entities, which sounds amazingly trivial now. But I grew up with a father who had been in U.S. Navy, and I would wanted to go to the Naval Academy when I was growing up. And I became nearsighted in eighth grade, and there went the Naval Academy. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it was a huge shift in my hand. But otherwise, I think I, you know, we obey the law, laws. Um, a trivial example, when I, used to, when I worked in the highway lab, I would drive across US-12 north of Middleton, and sometimes I'd go to work really early, and they put a traffic light there. And so I'd come up to US-12, there's nobody on US-12, but I've got this red light. And I always kind of imagine, well, there's a policeman 100 yards off on a diagonal in a cornfield waiting for me to run that red light. And so I never did. And that's an example of obeying the government when you think it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, 
<clears throat> so uh, the point here is not that Christians should <clears throat> say to the government, this is wrong, or in certain cases, um, engage in civil disobedience, or in so- certain extreme cases, even be, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, a spoke in the wheel of government, where Bonhoeffer was even involved in an attempt to assassinate Hitler. Yes. And many mm-hmm. European Christians hid Jews during mm-hmm. the Holocaust, even though it was illegal, yeah. like somebody like Corey Ten Boom. Um, and so we're not, we're actually affirming all of that, right? Yes. Um, but we should be very careful to take our marching orders from those who are not respecters of the word of God written in the scriptures Mm. who don't have a historical and long memoried perspective on this Mm. and that are part of the angried fever of the moment, whether that Mm. was in 2008 or whether it's in 2016. Um, Both of which, both of the cases, there was a lot of talk about racism and growing racism in America and how much that was involved in people Mm. affirming or Trump or disaffirming um, President Obama and so on, but that we're going to have to sort these things out and do our best. Yes, we have to do our best and then believe that God is in control of the whole thing and he will make it work to his purposes. And as I've said a number of times from the pulpit here, I believe that the most profitable discussions of these issues should be in the local church that people should treat each other with charity. They should be able to give each other the benefit of the doubt. They should be able to believe that each of us has the conviction that finding the truth is the most important mm-hmm. thing and obeying God is the most important thing. They should have humility about how circumspect and how complete their perspective is and how well they're weighing things. They should be willing to listen intergenerationally, recognizing that their memory is not near as long as they think, especially if they're young. Mm-hmm. Like if there is a one or two or a three at the beginning of their age, and these sorts of things. And so I think that um, I don't in any way think High Point should be a place where political discussions do not happen. I don't think you should, we should be bullying each other. And I think as little political discussions can happen on Facebook, the better. Hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think that in person, um, it's very good, which I think I think let's end with this. You and some other High Point people who are of different political perspectives have intentionally gotten together over the years to discuss these things. Right, yeah, there are four couples. You don't. Ne- you may not need to name them. Yeah, yeah I won't. Okay. There's four of them, <laughs> uh, and two of us are on this side, and two of us are on that side, and most of our discussion occurs over email, but it's always to the within the four, uh, and then one of the ones on the other side and I are really good friends, and we'll talk face-to-face, mm-hmm. uh, and, and we both... Pray for President Trump, and uh, one of us is responsible for him, and one of us is irresponsible for him, and the Lord knows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in the Christian church, especially as we try to be a church that's more intentionally multi-ethnic and intentionally international, um, I am working um, very much with people who um, often vote for candidates that wear blue, and we have plenty of members who um, like to draw with red markers when they're in the voting booth. And um, and it's becoming more important for Christians to realize that if we allow our political ideologies and our beliefs about policy, mm-hmm. most of which we know very little about, but we feel very strongly about, divide our capacity as the church to work together, then what the church can actually do in our communities is much to diminish. And I've, I think some of the greatest things 
um, being done by Democrats and Republicans in Madison at this moment is being done by Christians of both sides working together on particular initiatives. Yes, right. Yeah, one thing that people here at High Point are doing, some of them is working on the helping refugees when they do get here Mm -hmm. um, because they're coming to a strange land from their point of view and they'll need help, but it'll be like being an aircraft carrier. We'll get them into the air and flying Mm. and it'll be good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we've had, I mean, we have 15 people on that committee waiting to receive these refugees and not they did not all vote the same way in this last election but they are they are capable of understanding that the role yeah. of government and the role of church are different roles that yeah. the view of the government on immigration does not set the view of the church on immigration mm-hmm. and the church can submit to the government where it should and yet can have its own policies for what it must do and things that we can't agree on out there in politics what the right policy for the for the country should be Oftentimes we can agree on what those policies should be in the church because they're on different principles. We can Mm -hmm. function on the principle of mercy and generosity in a way sometimes the government isn't supposed to because it's responsible for things like rule of law. Mm -hmm. And so it allows people who disagree in the voting booth to very simply come together in the church if they're Mm -hmm. not captured by ideology, politics, policy, or political persons. Yes. Do you think that's true? Yes, that's absolutely wonderful. That mercy and justice and care and concern is something we can all agree on and do something about, not just write angry things on Facebook. Mm -hmm. So before we go, I want to I want to recommend two books on Christian faith and politics um, because I find that so I I, so I said before I have a minor in American history, so I I know about some of these lessons. My other minor in college was political philosophy, and I'm very interested in political philosophy and policy. Um, and so two of the, the books that are profoundly Christian and I think not politically captured that I think have, are good and short on this and that will get you out of the basic left-right arguments are a book by Robert Benet, who's a Lutheran scholar from Virginia, of all places, mm-hmm. um, who wrote a book called Good and Bad Ways to Think About Religion and Politics. Robert Benet, B-E-N-N-E, Good and Bad Ways to Think About Religion and Politics. He also did an interview on Nine Marks Ministry website. It's about 45 minutes where he talks about this book, if you want to search on that, um, instead of getting the book. And um, my favorite, actually, is a book called The Revenge of Conscience, Politics and the Fall of Man by Jay Bujashevsky. He's a scholar at, I think, University of Texas, and he was a atheist nihilist turned Roman Catholic now, and he writes about how the fall and how the human condition, when understood rightly and when applied to politics, should guide our views of what government and politics and policy is for in ways that we would not be guided to if we did not believe those things. And I think that that sets people up for understanding um, when and how maybe we should support certain kinds of policies or certain parties or certain political candidates. But most of all, I think it should vaccinate you from being captured, which is the number one most important thing for the church and for the Christian in America and anywhere, that we not allow ourselves to be politically and ideologically captured Mm -hmm. so that Jesus cannot tell us what's up. Mm -hmm. And so that we are, our allegiance to truth is split. All right. Well, Bill, thanks for being with us. We really appreciate what you've done in the Ukraine and um, and the service you've given on our elder board. Oh, thank you. Um, and thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next time. Mm-hmm.